This morning, turn your Bibles again to Luke chapter 7. Luke 7, we're going to pick up in verse 36. And a study entitled, Forgiveness for the Sinful and for the Scornful. And, you know, as I was up early this morning, I'm kind of excited. I got up this morning, it's just like, I don't know, it was early and... The Lord just met me at the at the breakfast table. I study sitting at the breakfast table on Sunday morning, so it's always kind of it's kind of fun. I have two Labradors, and they help me study, which means they make me get up and get bones for them, so I don't fall asleep. No, actually, it it just was this study I'm excited about because I think a lot of you are alike, so many people, and like me at times. You kind of have that graduated list of the top 25 sins, you know, and if you're, if you're doing those, man, you're really a sinner. Yeah, and you kind of, you look at them from, you got the most vile, and I don't know where, what yours is, but usually child molesters are up there near the top, those types of things, murderers, you know, and you get down to the bottom and maybe you're down finally into the folks that are just exceedingly hateful or whatever, but a lot of people look at sin that way. And though, uh, make no mistake about it, uh, there are consequences to our sin here on this earth. And that if you engage in those behaviors, ultimately you'll pay the price for them. But from God's perspective, the person who is bitter is just as lost as the prostitute. The person who is habitually angry is just as damned as the person who's a murderer. The person who struggles with maybe just a, a, a sense that they're the number one reason that the earth moves, and maybe they're racked with pride. They're just as damned as the person who's a drunk or a drug addict. Without Jesus... We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And I love this story. This is the first of the ones that are different. There are 19 of them that Luke records uh, that are little vignettes. There are some parables that are found only in Luke's Gospel. This is the first of them that is found only here in Luke's Gospel. And family of God, sin is damaging and sin is debilitating. It's detrimental to you. But the one answer to all sin is the cross of Christ. It's the blood of Jesus. And without Him, everybody's sin remains. And so this morning, that forgiveness for the sinful and the scornful because no matter where you are on that great list, you need Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for the time this morning. and Lord, thank You for the minds that You've given us to think with and the bodies to move with. And Lord, the heart to believe with. And we pray that You would just move in our midst this morning, that You would anoint Your Word, that as we hear it, that we'd recognize that it came from heaven. These might have been penned by Luke, but they were authored by you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your inspired, infallible word.
And we pray that you would now teach us as we study through it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 36. And then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. This is an interesting paradigm that begins to come into view for us this morning because the Pharisees pretty much hated Jesus. And by and large, they were his worst opponents on this earth while he was here. It was, in fact, organized religion, and it was very specifically the Pharisaical organized religion that was most often found in conflict with Jesus the Christ. And so there probably was some ulterior motive here in the asking by this particular Pharisee of Jesus over for a meal. And I think we'll see as we begin to unwind this passage this morning that it likely follows that there was some intent to trap him to try and get Jesus to say something that would slander his character or work against the law of God or perhaps the character of God. And I would remind you as we begin this passage, be careful about how quickly you too, I might become somewhat pharisaical. Because we all have our little things about which we are a little more concerned than others. Amen? And I'll be honest, when I hear about a child molester, I kind of lose Pastor Jeff for a few minutes. It's just, I just absolutely go crazy when I think children are being harmed. I don't get it from any perspective of of my walk with the Lord. And I often wonder, it's like, Lord, why don't you just fry them all? I I really do. I, you know, I, I will admit to you, there are times when I just like, I have Zero grace for the child molester. I'm thankful Jesus has grace for the child molester. Amen? You need to see this, folks, because we all have these little blind spots in our lives to where we're perhaps open to being a little bit on the side of the Pharisee in this story. So whether you're on the side of the Pharisee or you're on the side of this woman... The only answer to either is the grace of God. And so it goes on. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. I love this. We're not told exactly what. We're not told, you know, all of the little tidbits and details. And I think it's very purposeful and very willful by the Holy Spirit to simply draw attention to the fact that there's a very different perspective between these two people. And yet they're actually both sinners. But her sin is brought to light because of the nature of it. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And so this woman, who is a sinful woman, very likely, and I do believe that the correct assumption here is that she was a prostitute. It was rather common during that time because there weren't a whole lot of things that a woman could do, especially if she were either unmarried or a widow. Unfortunately, that was something that 
women turn to during that day and time. And so before you carry it to the world that we live in, keep it in context of the time. But nonetheless, it was still sin. And it was a gross sin, so much so that God names it by name in His Word as being a problem. But God also names anger and bitterness and hate and jealousy and vanity and men, pride. Amen? Keep it in perspective. You see, that list that I was talking about can get really problematic when you start saying, oh, well, you know, I mean, he's a a three and I'm only a 26. She's a she's a 2.75 and I'm a 34. I mean, I mean, I'm not anywhere near that bad. And if you're honest with yourself, probably very few people in here if any have not thought that way at times. Looked at someone else's sin as a Boy, am I glad I'm not like that. I mean, crack dealer. I mean, I'm just bitter. You get my point? We think like that sometimes, don't we? Well, you know, a child molester, that's a murderer. I mean, I'm just kind of habitually angry. Well, I mean, adultery. I mean, I'm just... Contentious. We get like that. That's the position of the Pharisee. And consequently, he becomes blind to his own problem. Doesn't see himself the way he needs to see himself. Would you remind yourself this morning that the whole point of this story is so that you see yourself the way you ought to? You need to see you in need of the cross of Christ. No matter what your flavor of sin is. Where it falls on the great spectrum of sinful behavior. It's the grace of God by faith in Christ Jesus who is our Lord. It's the only answer to what ails us. And so hear this tale of two people. And I love it. Jesus loved them both, folks. Amen? Jesus loves both of them. He doesn't hate the Pharisee. Doesn't hate the prostitute. Doesn't hate the drunk. Doesn't hate the liar. Jesus doesn't hate murderers. God hates sin. And He loves people. And we need to remember that. Because it's real easy to become a Pharisee with that regard. And pretty soon, you're hating on people that Jesus loves. You see, here in heaven are two different places. In heaven, you're not going to get to have any sin. Here on earth... Sin remains in us because we are failed people who are saved by grace, God's unmerited favor. Any Christian ever comes up to you and they tell you that they are perfectly sinless, you, you can just automatically say, no, you're not, because you just lied. 
and yourself deceived, and the truth is not in you. We remain sinners as long as we're on this earth. So much so that Paul himself, the great apostle, said, Sinners of whom I am chief. I'm best at it. I'm the leader of the sin tribe, so to speak. And that's not to brag about our obnoxious behavior. That's not to be bold and boisterous in the fact that we're not doing what God wants us to do. That's simply to say, both the prostitute and the Pharisee had a problem that only gets solved by the grace of God. Period. You see, we have a tendency to look at the you know, the inhospitable rabbi and go, well, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's pretty good. We look at it from a human perspective. We look at it from here on earth. And that is our perspective while we're on this earth. Amen? And so to some degree, we're kind of bent that way already. And so this story is to help move us along. And so here we get out of that making assumptions. You, you see... If the Lord desires something, and I've shared this many times with people, if as Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's His desire. That's His heart. That's the heart of God. Then God wants to draw prostitutes and murderers and drunks to the kingdom. Amen? When you get to, I think we're all going to be shocked. You're going to get to heaven and go, man, I never thought you'd make it. Now, why would we think that? Because we're Pharisees sometimes. We have a tendency to go, wow, there's no way that person's going to make it. There's no way that person's getting into the kingdom. Can I share with you? That's not your job. It's God's job to determine who gets in, who gets out. Your job is to pray for them. Your job is to share Christ with them. And sometimes, yes, you're going to feel like you're casting your pearls before swine. Okay? Throw them anyway. What's it really going to hurt you if you are kind to someone who maybe doesn't deserve it? That you share the gospel with someone who, frankly, has rejected the gospel. I've got that going on in my own life right now. My mom's husband is near death. He's 93 years old. And frankly, on the vile-o-meter, there's no more vile person I've ever met on this earth than my mom's husband. And that pains me to say that. But he is a Christ-rejecting, Christ-denying, uses God's name in vain every two seconds when you're talking to him. He's just that type of person. I had an opportunity to lay hands on him two days ago and pray for him. And he can't even talk. He's dying. And repeat the Gospel. And quote Scripture. And he's rejecting it. My job is not to save him. My job is to be the love of God to him while he's taking his last breath. That's it. For Jeff, for my flesh, 
it'd be real easy to say, goodbye, good riddance, you're going where you deserve. The moment I say that, I condemn myself. Be careful. Be careful. Because you can get caught up and be living where the Pharisee lived. That same love that saved you is the same love that saves me, and it's the same love that saves everybody. Amen? It's unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. It's nothing on you. It's everything on Jesus. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You don't keep it. It's Him. You receive it. I receive it. I am saved by faith, not by works. I believe that He is. Not that I am. Not that you're going to get good enough. But that He is. And so the Lord begins to work in this story. The Pharisees were very proud. They were exclusive. They were self-righteous. Anybody in this room ever been self-righteous? I've had a little. I've had a little bit of that in my life. God's had to deal with me on it. Maybe He's dealing with you right now. Maybe you've come along the journey a ways and you look at your life and maybe you look at your spiritual pedigree. Well, I was on Pastor Chuck's staff. You kind of turn your nose up in the air. I was taught by the Great One. That's what the Pharisees did. They bragged about which rabbi they studied under. Oh, well, I was under Gamaliel. Well, I was under Hillel. And they would stand up and proudly proclaim, Well, my rabbi is better than your rabbi. What's the plural of rabbi? Is it rabbis or rabbi or ease? I don't know. I was just thinking, that's how my brain works. It's like, all of a sudden I realized, I think the plural of rabbi is rabbi. <laughs> rabbis is... is they had a bunch of rabbi at that time. And many of them were rabid rabbis. About who was the best. And so in our story, you, you have this man that comes and, and invites Jesus, who happens to be a rabbi, and he says, come over to my house. And I want to set the stage for you just a little bit as we begin to pick up the story with the woman. At that day and time, it was considered unthinkable. If you invited someone to your house, the Eastern culture was such that you did generally five things for them. You allowed them a basin of water with which to wash their face. You then washed their feet for them. You then anointed them with oil. When they came into your house, you gave them a kiss, usually on each cheek, and then you sat them at your table. And it was a sign that you honored them, that you respected them, that you were granting them peace, there was a cessation of hostility, you wanted God's abundant blessing in their life. 
That's what those things signified to the Jew. This Pharisee offered none of those things to Jesus. You would have done that to someone you didn't even really like, yet was a guest in your house. It took care of everything from your head to your feet. And in between is your heart. Nothing from the Pharisee. But notice the repentant woman. And I love this. And so one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, that him being Jesus. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat and behold, eat and behold a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment, and she stood at his feet behind him. Has anybody ever read that and go, that's an impossibility? You ever read that and go, oh, there's a contradiction right there in Scripture? That's why I shared with you how they dined it that day. They were at the triclinium. They were gathered around a table that was an open rectangle. And on the edge, they would be seated on the outside with their left elbow sitting on the table. They would be reclining, not sitting up. So Jesus' feet would have been that way behind him. And so she could have been at his feet behind him. Not only is it possible, it's likely that's exactly where she would have come from because she would have had to come around the table to get to him because the only place that she would have been able to enter from would have been on the guest side. And so she's at his feet. She came in the only way she could, basically the back door. She's now standing behind him, weeping. And the word weeping there is an interesting word. It's only used three times in all of the New Testament in this way. And it means to shower with. She's not just kind of a couple of tears running down her cheeks. She is bawling and showering Jesus' feet with her own tears. And you need to remember that what we've already seen in Luke's Gospel, there has been a multitude traveling with Jesus. Amen? He has already said to them, if you read the synoptic Gospels, if you take the Gospels and assemble them together in time, Jesus has already spoken those words, Come unto me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's already spoken those words. And I believe she's one of the ones that was in the crowd. She's standing maybe in the back, embarrassed about who she is. How many of us have been embarrassed about who we are? How many of us are ashamed? Do you realize that Christ will wipe away your shame? That He is able to take the most broken and, and distraught person and make you whole? It's what He came to do. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Amen? Not find the well and prop them up so that they feel better. He came to seek and save the lost. To draw men unto repentance. A right relationship with God. And she began to wash his feet with her, with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet. And again, the word kiss there is unique in the Greek language. 
It means to repeatedly and frequently and often kiss and keep kissing. She was just kissing Jesus. You can picture this. She's just crying buckets of tears on his feet. And she's taking all that she has, her own hair, and wiping his feet clean. The grime of the filth of the earth is on Jesus' feet. That's you. The picture's really clear here. We've all been stained by the junk of this earth. And this woman is putting everything she has. There's a unique story about the fall of Rome to Hannibal. When the Roman women believed that Rome was about to be sacked and Hannibal was going to attack and take it, they went into their Roman temples and they cried on the floor and wiped up the floor with their hair. It was a similar situation. This is, I don't have anything else. This is all I've got left. And what I've got, i got nothing. i got this alabaster flask and I've got my tears and that's all I've got. And also interesting, that flask was likely worth about a year's wages. Very costly. And it was also what prostitutes used to kind of freshen themselves up. So she was saying, my old life, all of it, you can have it, Jesus. And I want what you are. And I want to show you that I mean what I say. And she begins to just kiss his feet. I don't know about I don't care how clean somebody's feet. I'm just not into kissing feet. Okay? You guys may have the most wonderful pedicure, and I'm just not kissing your feet, okay? It's not happening, and we live in a clean world with closed-toed shoes. Imagine what she was doing. Jesus' feet had not been washed by the host. They had just traveled 22 miles from Nain and Indoor back to Capernaum. And I guarantee you, animals traveled that road. You get the picture. His feet were dirty. Filthy. And she said, here's my old life, you can have it. And it was a sign of love and caring and sacrifice. It's all I've got. You see, the type, this type of woman wouldn't have been normally welcomed in, but they didn't have television during that day and time. And so when someone came into town and they were relatively famous, there was going to maybe be a debate. In essence, the home would be opened up to the general public and people could come in through the servant's entrance and they could sit and listen. Sometimes people come here and they sit and listen. And they walk away unchanged. This woman had heard the truth and the truth had set her free. And she began to do what saved people do. And that's worship the King. We need to be careful not to confuse this event with Mary of Bethany or Mary Magdalene. We don't even know what this woman's name was. 
just like there were a number of Simons in the New Testament. There's actually nine of them that are different in the New Testament. Two of them are apostles. Common names, common people, common things, common problems. There, there is no thing, your Bible says, no sin, but that which is common to man, and in it there's a way of escape. Amen? You see, broken people are exactly who Jesus came for. But you've got to see that you're broken. And, and so she begins to do that work that says, I love you, Lord. Sometimes people have the wrong impression of works. James is very clear on it, by the way. He says, I'll show you my faith by my works. I'm not saved by it. I don't come into a right relationship with God because I did something for Him. But because I'm a child of God, because I've received grace, it is the natural outflow of my life to want to be a blessing to the one who saved me. I want to acknowledge Him. I want to honor Him. I want Him to know that I love Him. And in doing so, I know that what I'm experiencing is real. There's a wonderful place for works in the life of a believer. It'll never save you. But you absolutely will have some peace when you realize that your transformed life is producing transformed works. You see, she had saving faith, and that faith worked. And now look at the host. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, you can almost imagine. You you can see what he was doing, can't you? In your mind's eye, really? I mean, her? That woman? There's no more despicable woman in all of Capernaum than her. You, You can see it, can't you? Because see, that's what self-righteousness does. That's what that list will bring you. You'll look at your stuff and go, well, not not compared to him, compared to her. I mean, I'm nearly a saint. When in fact you actually are both saints the same way. Amen? Saint just simply means someone who's being sanctified. Set apart. That's all it means. It's not somebody that we, you know, we're not going to have an icon board out there this week at St. Dave's that we're going to worship. Not going to happen. Because we're all saints, amen? You see, this woman was a woman from across the tracks, the other side of town, if you will. The red light district. And this self-righteous, pompous, arrogant, prideful, Use, use whatever adjective you'd like. Says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Not like me. I mean, I'm a, I'm, well, I'm kind of a sinner, but not really. Compared to her, mm-mm. And Jesus gives this more marvelous parable. And Jesus answered and said to him, 
And I love it when Jesus gets personal. I love it. Because this shows you the care that Jesus actually had for the Pharisee. He took the time for the Pharisee. Not just the woman. It's easy to pick out the woman and go, man, the recipient of grace. But I want you to see how the Pharisee is also a recipient of grace. Because Jesus brings it down to his level. He knows exactly what that Pharisee is thinking. And so he addresses it. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. I don't know what vocal intonation he used, but I like to think, Simon, so, what up, brah? Let's get to the down low. Let's take this home, homie. I don't know what he was saying. It was something like that, okay? Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, Yo, Holmes, bring it! You get the picture? It's, it's like this personal exchange of two people in the same culture going, Yeah, let, well, let me have that. Yeah, come on, bring it. He wasn't ready. And so Jesus says, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. So it's like, you know, Citibank has called them both, okay? And one owned 500 denarii. That would be 500 days' wages. So, a year and nearly a half worth of income. It'll only be about 60 bucks today, but bottom line is a bunch of money then. And the other owed 50. Simon's, you can see it. The wheels are turning. Yeah, that's because she's rotten and I'm good. Matter of fact, she's ten times worse than I am. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Amen? It's a beautiful passage. Which of them will love him more? Here's the flesh. And Simon answered and said, Well, I suppose the one he forgave more. You see, he thinks he's going to get the upper hand on the teacher. Well, that's easy. You know, of course, because I owe so little and she owes so much. Of course. And Jesus freaks him out and agrees with him. You've judged rightly. You you see, people have been saying that Jesus was a great prophet. He had prophetic discernment. The problem was, it doesn't matter the amount of sin, it matters the awareness of sin. Amen? So whether you've been saved from a bunch or saved from little, you're still saved by faith. You don't earn it ever, no matter how little of it there is to forgive, or matter, or for that matter, how much of it there is to forgive in your sin life. Because there are some folks, we got some in this, they're pretty good at sinning. You might call them sinning pros. There's a little section in Home Depot, you can go to Sin Pro. You can just go in that section, you can get your stuff there. Then you got the other side, it's like, well, I don't sin much. The problem is that we look at that and we automatically come to the conclusion that we're loved more 
if there's not much to forgive. And Jesus is saying, you know what, I love you the same. I love you both. And you both need me. You see, both of them were bankrupt. Both of them could not pay their own debt. Both of them would have perished and passed into eternity damned without the blood of Christ. doesn't matter how much. It matters that you're aware that you are. That's why when someone says, well, you know, you need to tell me what the, the proof is that I, so I can be saved. There isn't one. There is no proof. If there were, then you'd be saved by works. If there were some magic statement, I could walk up to you and be saved. Because Jesus said so. That would be a statement. And you would be then saved because you simply believed the statement. You have to have faith that what I said is true. No faith, you can't be saved, period. You are saved by faith, not force of argument. Not proof text. Not X number of scriptures. The Romans road itself cannot save you by itself. Faith saves you. Very important you get this. Because there are a lot of people that think if you just, well, if I just give them these ten verses, they're automatically going to get saved. And if they don't, it's like, wow, I did something wrong. He didn't use the magic words. They have to have faith. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is you acting in faith, period. You, you see, we need to have that work that comes along from that that says, you know what, I've actually believed it. I, I actually get it. Not that I understand everything. I can tell you something as a pastor. I don't understand everything. People come to me with questions and go, you know what, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. It's a whole lot more rare than it used to be. But there are times when it's like, hmm, I never thought of that. But gee, let me see. There's God and there's Jeff. God knows everything. Jeff knows a few things. That's why Christ alone saves this church doesn't save anybody. You don't save anybody. When you share the gospel, you're not saving them. So when someone comes to you, well, you know, I'm saved because of you. No, you're saved because of Jesus Christ. Period. Period. And then if you are saved, you begin to have works that come out of your life. And I want to, I want to just show you now that how this works out. Notice we finally get to the Savior, verse 44. And then he turned to the woman and to Simon. So we can now see both of them. He's talking to the woman. He's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? And he's going, yeah, that's all I've been looking at since she got here. Except he was probably looking at her the way most men looked at her. He may well have been lusting after her himself, for all we know. He saw the woman. He knew where she was. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Simon, you didn't even give me the common courtesy of greeting me like a guest. 
And not only did she do that, but she said, in my life, you are number one. Here's everything I have. Here's my flask of ointment. These are the tears. I believe they were tears of joy, frankly. I think she'd finally come to terms with who Jesus was. It was just like, I can't believe it. He loves me. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Over and over repeatedly. You did not anoint my head with oil. You see how he's running down the list of normal niceties in an Eastern culture. He said, the very simplest of things that would have even welcomed me as a guest, you didn't do. But this woman who has nothing, who is the one who owes the bigger debt of sin, you guessed it, she's been forgiven more. But I don't love her, I love her, I love you. You got part of it right, Simon. But you got a lot of it wrong. You haven't even done the bare things that would tell somebody that I'm in their house, much less that you love me. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my head and feet with fragrant oil, very costly oil, probably the oil of the spikenard. Very, very valuable. We're not told the size of the flask, but easily could have been a year's worth of wages for a normal person. And therefore I say to you, the shocker. Because he's going to say something. When people tell you, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, yes, he did. And he does it right here. Doesn't say it directly, but he says it indirectly and very clearly. And therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many. Jesus never looked lightly on sin. He always dealt with sin head on. He just simply said there were many. He acknowledged the fact. Yeah, a lot of them are forgiven. For she loved much. You see, she realized who she was. And she did something about it. God loves the whole world, yet the whole world's not saved. Amen? Grace is that love that pays that price for us. Amen? You get the picture now? You see it? Can you see what's going on in this little exchange between these two people? One of you would think it would be really easy for that person to get saved. You ever looked at that? Oh, well, they grew up in the right home. And I mean, after all, 74 generations of their family have been saved. I mean, even their dog knows Jesus. Not the kind. I mean, naturally, they would be able to... I mean, they're pastor's kids to fourth generation. Can I share something with you? Both of my boys made their own personal profession of Jesus Christ. Both of them have been baptized. That's not something that came from me. That's something they had to choose this day, whom they were going to serve. Yes, mom and dad are Christians. And so are Connie's mom and dad Christians. 
but doesn't save anybody. We get saved when we acknowledge we're sinners and we need a Savior. And then we profess Jesus Christ as Lord. And he said to her, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. He says, Simon, you don't love me very much, do you? I love this. It's like, dude. And then he said to her, he repeats it, just in case Simon, who's a Pharisee, who knew only God could forgive sin, furthermore, they could only be forgiven at the Day of Atonement in the temple in Jerusalem. This guy's forgiving sin. He repeats it, so there's no mistake. Your sins are forgiven. And then those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Craziness. Who is this who even forgives sins? They all took note. Who is this? And then he said to the woman, What saves her? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's the faith of God that we have to believe. That's what saves. It wasn't that she was no longer going to be a prostitute. It wasn't that she had given a very costly gift. Family, none of those things save you. I've had some pretty unique experiences in ministry. I sat at Pastor Chuck's desk one time when a guy came in with a check. It had a lot of zeros on it. And I mean a lot of kind of a lot of zeros we'd like to have at this church. A lot of zeros. I'm like, that's a lot of zeros. And he in essence wanted to give a gift to kind of clean up his life. And he says, You know, I've lived my life apart from God, and I just want to I just want to give this money and you know, and, and can you pray for me? And Chuck says, no, you, you can keep your money. I'll pray for you, but I'll pray that you get it right. Giving money doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. Memorizing the entire Bible, believe it or not, doesn't save you. Faith in the only begotten Son of God, faith, that saves you. That He is who He said He is. Did what He said He did lives the way He said He would live, eternally. Amen? That's what saves you. That's what He says to this woman. Simon, you got it all wrong. You can't even do the practical things right. You think you got the spiritual things right. He says your works don't even indicate that you're even saved. That is why James said, faith without works is dead. Because if I'm really a child of God, then my life is being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm starting to live that new way. I begin to look at these things and I go, you know what, my sins have been forgiven. I'm okay with God now. Not because of the good things that I do, but because He's good. Amen? What a beautiful picture of grace. Amen? You see, this is how grace actually works. How is this woman saved? She first repented of her sin. Put her faith in Jesus. Jesus says so. I don't say so. I'm not reading anything into it. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. She repented of her sin. She said, here's my gift. It's all I have. This is what's left of my business enterprise right here, and you can have it. It's all yours. 
She had assurance by her, the words that Jesus spoke. Isn't that interesting? The assurance she had came from the Word. That's why it's important that you study this. If you're a child of God, you need to study your Bible. This is His Word. You get assurance from it. Assurance just means the definition of assurance for a Christian is this. It it is those things by which we have the maximum understanding that we're God's children. So when I read this, and then it's part of my life, and I do it, I now get certain in my faith. I walk around going, hey, my life is pretty much like that. But if my life is not pretty much like this, I have no assurance. That's why Christians in sin are so miserable. Because you're wandering around doing exactly what God told you not to do. And so then you're going, well, I'm not even sure. And then you begin to wonder whether you're saved at all. You see these little miracles that happen in this person's life. Miracles are just God's sign that he's working. Even miracles don't save you. He'd already raised the dead, yeah? He'd already made a very sick servant perfectly well. This is the real miracle, the saving of the soul. I want to end with just a little quick story. You see, this woman was justified by faith. It's what your Bible teaches in Romans made just as if you had never sinned by faith in Jesus Christ. And in 1830, actually April 17th of 1830, there was a court case that was tried in the state of Pennsylvania. And it involved a man named George Wilson. George Wilson had been brought to trial because he and an accomplice, James Porter, had robbed a mail train, stolen the mail, threatened the life of the drivers of that mail train. It was a federal offense, and it was punishable by death. So much so that when they were brought to their initial trial, in the initial phase of that trial, that James Porter was found guilty. So was George Wilson. George Wilson went on appeal. James Porter was actually hanged. For about three months, George Wilson kept changing his plea and would bring in some new evidence that he wasn't actually responsible and there were some things that he did that kind of would maybe give him a little bit of opportunity for leniency. And so at the time, President Andrew Jackson heard of this case and decided to give him a pardon. He said, on the merits of the case, I'm going to pardon this guy. George Wilson did something unthinkable. He rejected the pardon. He said, I don't want it. That was then taken to the Supreme Court, and Chief Justice John Marshall ruled on it himself. And thus, I quote, A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. That's this story in a nutshell. God offers the pardon. In essence, George Wilson hanged himself. God today offers the pardon to both the sinful and the scornful. It's up to us to accept it, to receive it, to believe it. You see, peace with God comes from faith in Christ. That's what he told the woman. He said, go in peace. You can. Because you're saved. won't change all the circumstances that have come into your life by your action. But you now have 
that peace which Jesus said, I give to you, not as the world gives, but my peace. Peace that knows that one day when you take your last breath, you're going to meet Jesus in heaven. And that, my friends, will be a really good day, whether you were sinful or scornful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this beautiful story. Lord, this marvelous parable. Lord, we pray that as we think on our own lives, it's easy to get caught up. Maybe one side or the other. Lord, maybe uh, we feel as though uh, because we're so close to good, that we're good enough. Maybe we feel that we're so evil, that we're too evil to ever be saved. The good news is, Christ died for the ungodly of all flavors. Lord, it doesn't matter where we fall on the great spectrum of things, the way we might value them. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for that fact that you're the God who saves both the really sinful and the simply scornful. And so, Lord, we would ask that in these last moments, God, I ask if there's anybody here this morning that's never said yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they've never believed by faith, Father, today would be that day when they just simply invite you in by Jesus Christ. Lord, they recognize the only path to forgiveness goes through the cross. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here, pray that you'd impress it upon their heart that as we close, that they'd come and be prayed for and begin that new walk, that walk of faith that allows us to be cleansed and transformed. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. Help us to not be Pharisees, Lord. Help us to not be sinful, Lord. Help us to walk with you always. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.